welcome to the Noise Careers Podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Cannon, and today I'm here with Nick Thompson. You may know Nick from being in bands like Hit the Lights, Thief Club, and as well, he's just starting a, a production career. We get into the creative process of his work with both of his bands, as well as his upcoming production work, and a lot of cool advice for bands about how to navigate a career, and I think we touch on a lot of really cool things. Check it out. One second before we get started with this interview. Noise Creators is able to do these cool podcasts because we're a service, and we're trying to get the word out about our service to people. So if you enjoy this podcast, it's really, really important that you share it to people so more people can get to know what we're doing trying to connect musicians with producers to make better music and make better records for you all to listen to. So please, please, please help us out. If you like this and like what we're doing, Share it, tweet it, Facebook it, Instagram it, Tumble it, whatever you like to do, do that. As well, we're going to start doing a really cool thing. If there's a great quote from these podcasts that you really enjoy, put it on a graphic, tweet it, Facebook it, take a picture of it, and send it to us at Noise Creators on every single one of the social networks. And what we're going to do is we're going to share the best ones, and if you're one of the best ones... We're going to send you a list of prizes we have. We have a bunch of cool, rare things from bands that aren't as much of a use to us. We have a couple of extras of rare pressings of vinyl, all sorts of cool stuff. You can choose from a list, and we'll send that out to you for free if you share a really cool quote that we like and we use. Thanks so much for helping out, and please, please, please help us spread the word on our service. Thanks. So what have you guys been up to? As Hit the Lights, we... Uh... We've taken kind of the summer off, but we just recently were back on the road for a couple weeks with a simple plan. They were doing a uh, a U.S. tour. They haven't done in like I think they've been gone for like five years, something like that. Mm-hmm. So it was really cool. We did direct support for them in a lot of our favorite cities. All the shows were sold out and stuff. So it was an awesome way to get back into it. And uh, we're home for a couple weeks, and then we go back out for a few dates with a uh, good Charlotte. Very cool. Yeah, blast from the past, and nice. like two in a row. So it was cool. Very cool. So. Tell me about how a song usually comes into being for you guys. We basically have like four other songwriters and, and hit the lights. Mm-hmm. So it's always kind of a challenge. There's always a lot of like ideas and stuff. And sometimes a challenge for everyone to get on the same page. And everyone's kind of got, I think, a different approach to songwriting. Me personally, I don't have a specific way. A lot of times like I'll have a hook or something that I like and it'll just probably stew for like months and some <laughs> Sometimes even like, you know, a year or so before like something else, like maybe one of the other guys plays a riff or they have another idea and, and, you know, kind of things kind of snap into place, kind of like, like song Legos, you know, it's like, oh, that would work here. That work here. You know, I like that song Legos. That's good. Yeah, definitely. And it's, it's always a lot of fun when that happens too. you know, you have that aha moment where, you know, you you might've had a song idea for a long time and just couldn't figure out, you know, a way to kind of take it out of anything more than like a pre-pro idea. But uh, as of recently, I started uh, working with Downright, which uh-huh. is a, a company based out of Chicago that uh, basically uh, like fans and customers can get a hold of me and have me um, write for them. You know, they, they have like a subject they'd like me to write about and stuff. And they have different tiers of, you know, writing an acoustic song or a full length or minute long songs. I was honestly on the fence about doing it at first, but 
Mark, one of the guys that, that started it, kind of talked me into it, and uh, Shane from Valencia talked me into it as well. And it's actually been a really cool experience because I find that um, as I grow older with songwriting and stuff, I have a really hard time trying to decide what I want to write about, you know, what makes sense to write about, what are what are things that like affect me now. And those things might be harder to get into, uh, you know, a, a genre like what Hit the Lights plays. But here with with Downright, I've had uh, the experience where I get people give me the the concept and I get to write around that. And that's kind of been really freeing for me uh, in a way because it's taken all the the uh, pressure off of like what I want to say in a song, you know, and just be able to to focus on on these details and make it into a song. And that's kind of opened me up as a songwriter um, to like really concentrate more on like melody and song structure and, and the lyrics, you know, kind of fall into their their own. So that's been really cool. And it's been a lot different. So I, I guess I'm constantly changing is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, yeah no, that's re- that's really cool. Yeah. I've always thought that the, con- the concept of uh what they do there has been really, really awesome for fans and everything. And it's interesting, like you talk about the this perspective. So when you say you often can't figure out what to write about, I think fans often just think like, oh, well, you know, they're getting their heart broken every day or something like that. Is it out of like having a higher standard of wanting to find something unique to say or wh- where does that come from? Because I don't think that sure. people talk about that a lot. Yeah, and I, and I think that you know some of the songs are the, the most pure, you know, from an artist and stuff are, are from you know a, a very emotional standpoint, you know, something that affected their their life or is affecting their life, um, you know, that they have a lot of emotion, they have a lot to say about it, and I feel like you know as I've been in Hit the Lights for I don't know twelve. 50, I don't even know how long I've been hit the lights now. It's been, it's been a long time. So I feel like I've covered all this, you know, like like growing up angst stuff. We've covered, you know, songs about parties, songs about girls and stuff. And, you know, I'm 32 now. And I, after a while, there, you know, those things don't necessarily uh, connect or affect you anymore. And, you know, you're, you're finding yourself changing as a person and in a world where you're, you know, even more confused maybe than we were when you were a kid. And it's not as simple as singing about a girl you know, or a party or being out with your friends. And, you know, I, I think it also has to do with like things that have already been done, things you've already done for so long that you need that, you need that change. You need uh, to find that inspiration. And I think the inspiration can be a very fleeting thing, especially if, if you're in a comfortable position, comfortable position, you know, where like maybe you're actually happy and stuff. I think that can even be an issue where like, yeah. what, what the hell do I write about? Because I have nothing to bitch about. You know, I, you know, for me, like I said, it's just finding that that mark of what you want to say and trying to connect with people because that's really, you know, the basis of why you're successful as an artist is you have songs that connected with people, especially with things like Hit the Lights and stuff. Now we have like a younger group of people. And like if I'm if I go too, you know, political or if I'm like if I'm singing songs about, you know, like what I learned about, like Hinduism and stuff like no. that, it might not necessarily, you know, connect. And at a certain point, you have to realize that it doesn't fucking matter and you just need to make music to make you happy. But if you want it to be, you know, a substantial way for you to make a life, you know, that's something you have to balance out too. And that can be a very weird thing. So I, I think that everyone kind of eventually struggles with that uh, and just finding out, you know, putting yourself into a song and how much you put into your, you know, put yourself into the song without, kind of losing, you know, any connection you have with the audience. I think that's a great, great way to put it. So you hinted at that, you know, there's four singer, uh, four, four songwriters in the band. How do you guys end up squaring whose songs get it in? Like, what's the process behind that? It's varied over the years for a while there, because we, we all live apart from each other now. We all live 
thousands of miles away. So at first we, we did the whole, like some people would write entire songs in, you know, garage band and we, you know, or, or logic and have them on the computer and we just take them and kind of hash them out when we get together. But that's kind of, it's got, um, it's got its downsides because I feel me personally as an artist and I feel that it has, uh, this is relevant to, to a lot of people in bands. Hmm. I find that I can have an idea and stuff and I've done side, I have a side project called thief club, yes. which you worked on too. And through that, like it can be easier because you, uh, you can write songs faster. You don't have to argue with people over, you know, what's a better part and whatnot. But at the same time, when you're not in a room with other people who are, you know, who don't have the same style and stuff like that too, you're not really maybe giving yourself an opportunity to challenge yourself to, you know, come up with a better part. I feel like with it, the lights, I feel like some of our best records have been from all of us, you know, bouncing ideas off each other, arguing over stuff and like really scrapping to find the best part, you know, and coming out with a, with a whole new idea that, you know, never would have come to fruition had it just been, you know, one person writing the song. So I think in that aspect, and especially with our last record, Summer Bones, we kind of went back to the bare minimum of what we used to do back in 2002, 2003, where you'd get in a room and you would just jam with each other, you know? That's how we did all of our pre-pro. We pretty much wrote that record from scratch. I think it's probably, in, in my opinion, the best at the Lights record. Right. Um, and I, I, I listened to it a ton this year. Yeah, Kyle Blackhill as well. I, it, you know, he definitely has a lot to do with it too because he, he kept, you know, pushing us and stuff. But at the end of the day, I have to say that, you know, it's, it's all of that being together and, and writing the music together and and getting those ideas and those different points of view that really made those songs what they are, you know, and it was a lot nicer than, and a lot more fun having that than just being, you know, by yourself, being that one, one creative mind where eventually you kind of get tired of yourself, yes. you know, and kind of get tired of your ways. So, so with that, was there anything in your mind that differentiated a Thief Club song from a Hit the Lights song? I think the only thing that differenti- differentiates it is that it's all just me, and mm-hmm. I definitely have my comfort zones that I'll settle into, you know? Mm-hmm. And there's certain things that I'm trying to break out of, but there's, you know anything from like song structure to, you know, like I can, I can just get lazy with it. It's like, well, I can just, you know, do a little, I can throw a guitar solo here, you mm-hmm. know, instead of like writing the bridge lyrics, you know, or something like that. And maybe you can be harder on yourself than other people, but at other times too, I think you can just be comfortable and lazy with, with your songwriting uh, as well. I think that's, that's a risk that just happens sometimes. And I found myself doing that from time to time where I listen back to the song. I say, I could have made that better. I could have pushed myself and you know, I, I should have. Hmm. Interesting. I never really think about that. That like the solo thing can potentially get less vetting than like the group thing. So is there anything in you that would change what you, the way you do that in Thief Club in the future? In a way, I think I already have, you know, I have first stuff before I do any Thief Club stuff, I'll probably do new hit the lights, new hit the lights music. But um, in that aspect, you know, Thief Club helps me hash out a lot of stuff too, get a lot of things off my chest. So I'm more free to and open to go on to the next idea. So I think that as I said before, once you have those songs written, you kind of like can pick out like your little, your little cliche parts and your little niches that you see like, Oh, I see, this is what I keep leaning on. You know, that's what makes me want to change and evolve and say, you know, it'd be cool if, you know, I just threw this idea out the window and just did something totally different here to be able to do that constructively as well. You know, I I think, uh, it's been guilty of it. A lot of artists do too, where they just want to go completely, you know, take a hard left off of where they've been going, you Mm -hmm. know? And and, uh, I think that that can also be harmful as well. But as an artist, I'm sure you can understand too. You understand where the artist is coming from when they're just sick of, 
being stuck in, you know, one thing, you know, pigeonholed into something or whatever, that can be frustrating as well. So again, I talk about this, but it's that, that balance um, and just making sure that when you're writing music, you know, you're doing it um, and it's making you feel good. It's, you know, it's not becoming like a chore. It's not something that, that you hate, you know, because that's the last thing um, I think that you want. No, that's, that really is a great, great point. So one of the reasons I want to talk to you today is you're going to start doing some production work with uh, Rick King, who we've had on the podcast before. Can you tell me a little bit about that? I, I met up with Rick King. It was um, it was kind of like a random uh, email, like I don't even know, maybe a year and a half ago, through our friend Christian Wagner, who said, "Hey, there's a um, you know there's a studio down south, and it was only he was only like three hours away from me. And at the time, I was in Ohio, where there weren't like a, a whole lot of studios that I knew. All my friends and all the studios that I liked were all." 10 to 12 hours away. So, and he seemed like a nice guy. So, uh, I met up with him and we just kind of like worked on some music and stuff. And I, I don't know, there's something really beautiful about, and I've, and I've had the, the pleasure of, of having a, a few producers, um, Rob Freeman, you mm-hmm. know, yes, great, uh, um, great dude. Absolutely. And, uh, I have my other friend, Josh Barber, uh, and especially Rick King, where they're just the producers that just, you just get in there and you, and you click with them. You know, mm-hmm. I, I've had, I've worked with other great producers that, that are fantastic, but like you don't have that connection. You aren't, you don't, you know, you feel like every song is kind of like a struggle. You know, you're like, you're, you're working through sandpaper to get it done. You get it done, but it's still, you don't have that feeling about it. But, you know, with someone like Rick um, or Rob or, you know, Josh, stuff like that, there's not that friction there. You know, it all just kind of slides through and it feels good. And through that, building that relationship with Rick, I just worked with him. We did uh, a Hit the Lights acoustic um, EP just this past year and stuff as well. And, um, he was just a great dude that I think, uh, deserves a lot more attention. Um, and I think as you know, attention comes with first, you have to get some certain projects that, that garner that attention. And I think that's all that uh, Rick really requires is just, uh, people giving him a chance. So in that aspect, if I can help uh, a good dude out who I know absolutely deserves it and will, you know, will kill it, then that's, that's what it's all about. That's a beautiful thing. Very cool. So you mentioned that you've worked with all these great producers and, you know, looking back through the Hit the Lights stuff, there's always had tons of great production work. Is there any lessons you've learned from a producer that you could impart that was a really cool lesson from any of them? Oh, that's a really good question. And, and yeah, I think every... Every producer always gives me something to think about, you know, to kind of change the way I think of stuff. I don't know if there's anything uh, in particular. It's more of like a, a learning experience as we go along. We both learn things and and uh, kind of come up with ideas that that I I use and relate to songs later. Like, oh, I, I remember when we did this with this certain part of a song and it turned out really cool. So maybe we can try something like that. I'd have to really think on if. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was like, it's totally cool. Yeah. So with that. As a producer, everybody has to choose kind of how they involved they want to get in the songwriting. Like we have a saying on this podcast that there's like the Steve Albini on one side who like, you know, maybe he'll tell you if there's a good take, but we'll never talk to you about song structure. Then you have a John Feldman who totally rewrites the songs for the bands a lot of the time. Is there some place on that scale that you see that you want to be? I, I think right now, in, in my experience, and especially because I don't do a lot of uh, producing, it's, it's a new thing for me as well. My main goal, and I know this is Rick's main goal as well, is to make sure that the band is it has a as a whole they are they are committed to an idea. I think everyone needs to be on the same page for for something to really work. And then from there, like it's nice because I understand how it is, and I don't have an ego about it. So I understand what my strong points are, and there's uh, certain things that I can that I can help with, you know, as far as like melody, you know, lyrics, like song arrangement. 
I'm going to put my, my input into it, but the fact is that it's still that artist's song, and uh, that's what's most important to me. And Rick as well is that they go away happy. I'll be honest about my opinions and stuff, but it's nice because I don't if, – if you don't use my stuff, it doesn't matter to me. <laughs> you know, if there's an idea to make that, I don't – I don't exactly have that, maybe that confidence yet to say, no, this is exactly what needs to happen, uh, you know, and, and I think that's a dangerous way to be because you can kind of shut people and artists down from speaking their mind if, if you know, you end up just taking over a song and then it becomes, it's not that artist's song, it's just the memory they have of, oh yeah, we recorded with that guy, this is his song that he, that he took from what we gave him. Yeah, 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 I, I was going to say when you first started saying that, that like, I think that there, there's a funny thing of everybody who feels that way kind of has that scar and then never wants to impart or hopefully who doesn't want to impart that on another band. Like, you know, the whole reason I was a producer is like I said to a guy, I'm like, no, no reverb, no, none of that. And he cranked up the eighties reverb because he was a hair metal guy and I was trying to get punk and I'm like, all right, I guess I have to yeah. learn to do this myself. <laughs> exactly. And I mean, like you said, though, too, like you have to have that uh, that producer that, you know, that's with you that kind of becomes that that extra band member, you know, so you have to have someone that understands what you want. You Everyone needs to be on the same page. Otherwise, it's just you're wasting time, you know, bouncing back and forth over what this song is or what, you know, what your sound is. And that's kind of the hardest part is I feel is, is finding that. But once you do when everyone's on the same page, it's going to go a lot smoother and you're going to have, you know, a lot more freedom once you get that idea of what something is yeah i, I like that 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 a lot and i think that there the really is that thing too of it's it's so funny because like you can rob bands of a song and when people are doing that they think that they're doing the best thing for the project and everything and i you know there's like certain producers i've heard that story of over the years and it's just like it's, it's a funny mentality to have the idea that like to me music is all an emotion and if you're trying to find what one person's emotion was and actualize that and the idea that you're going to ever be able to say i know that emotion better than the one that you thought of at the time is a little weird to me absolutely and it kind of takes away from that honesty and i think honesty is one of those things that you know if a song is good and stuff but the, the base of it is that the honesty rings true you know you feel something from that and you know it's it's a big reason why especially people who've listened to music for a while they can't they can't listen to the pop genre so much because it's just so empty you know mm, and that's yeah. one thing you want to avoid you know you want you want to have that soul there that that passion that that little bit of honesty and i think that that's honestly all that people want <laughs> you know when they're listening to something so it's important and like you said there's you know there's a balance to everything too uh producers come in handy I, I've known a couple times when we worked with Matt Squire and stuff, he was one of our first hit the lights, like our big producers we worked with. And he kicked our ass. He kicked our ass in the studio. He told us when parts were stupid. You know, he's like, I don't like that, you know, very opinionated, but he's an excellent producer. And I think I came away from that. We had a, a great record that did well. And we also took away, you know, from that, I remember taking away and saying, there are some parts that I should have stood my ground on. And, and mm. you know, that was a good part. It should have stayed there. And I think that's also, um, like I said, it all comes with that learning experience and stuff. So the next time, you know, you go through it, you recognize that feeling of, I hear what you're saying, but this is, this is the part that I want, you know, mm. you know, when we were with Matt Squire too, like, like I said, it was our first experience. So I wasn't going to say shit to Matt Squire because he was the boss, you know, and you know, I'm going to listen to him because he, he clearly knows what's going on and I don't. And then later on the line, you know, you start to learn and get a little confidence in yourself, you know, and your ideas. And, and, and that's, uh, that, I guess that kind of all 
comes with with the learning experience as well. No, that's a really great way of, of talking about it. And you know, there is that thing of it's like, well, this person does have more success. This is my first record, and you want to have humility to things. And it's a tough balance of when do I have human emotion I feel versus maybe a part of the process versus maybe like a way of getting something done or a, or a sound particularly. And it's like knowing when your opinion should be stood for is like probably one of the hardest things there is even in business wise. Yeah. Uh, which also, you know, so I always ask this question with that is because like, I feel like almost every musician has like the thing of like, that they can impart to the younger band about what they have seen throughout their career that maybe they could learn from about standing their ground. Do you have anything that you can tell the younger bands about business decisions in that respect? It's really hard because I know when you're a younger band, like, like I said, it, a lot of this comes with experience and there's a lot of things that you can, you can scream at younger bands all you want and just tell them exactly, you can tell them what to do. You can mm-hmm. give them the perfect outline, but it's not going to matter because they have, you know, I feel like they have to maybe go through that themselves to, to really learn and understand what you're trying to say. I know even Hit the Lights went through that with, we did the whole major label thing and so many of my favorite bands had gone through major labels in the past, had had terrible experiences Literally, I, I step by step, I watched my favorite bands do the exact same thing that Hit the Lights did, and it didn't stop us one bit from making those same decisions. And so, so, what was what was the justification? Even though you saw that, were you just doing the "that won't be us" thing, or like, what was there any particular thought you had in your head that you thought you wouldn't be the same? Yeah, I think that in a lot of ways, we thought that there was a glass ceiling, like we could only get so big, and our next step had to be radio. That's the only way. You know, could get any bigger, you know, in which everything in retrospect, you know, <laughs> makes perfect sense. But at the time, you also, you know, you hold out a little bit of hope. And I came from a generation, too, where, um, to me, being on a major label, that was that was the mountaintop. That was my Everest. That was like what let me know that I made it. And that's how we grew up. Yeah. And it's not that way anymore. You know, it's, it's you know, vastly opposite, I'd say. But at the time... Just wanting to reach that peak was, I, I know, I, I think I speak for the rest of you guys too. That was, that was it. You know, like we did it, we made it to a major, you know, and then we'll go from there. And I think that, that was probably the, the biggest aspect was just growing up and, and wanting to be on a major label band. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, and that's a tough thing to square with. Like, you know, I keep having this thing personally in my life of like, it's like funny how I'm like, wow, I let like thoughts that I had at 12 years old control me at 38 <laughs> absolutely yeah <laughs> and it's like it's so funny to be like maybe i should reconsider that like i literally like last night i had a glass of wine and i'm like wow you started thinking that at 13 maybe you should really reconsider that you're living your life about that these certain things and it's like you know those major label things are it it's like it's it's one of my dreams and it's important to fulfill your dreams for some reason. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and, and ultimately, you know, it, it cost us a band. It cost us, you know, like being four years stuck on a label, you know, almost five to release a record when in reality, we probably could have just gonna gone out um, and honestly like farted out of Skip School Start Fights Part 2 and still had, you know, a, you know, a great career, you know, going from there, you know. But it's just, it's just the nature of the beast. And uh, like I said, I, we learned a lot from it and that's, that's all you can do. You can just, learn and move on but as far as telling other people what to do uh, i feel a lot of times it's the same same respect is just like people are going to tell you whatever but you're not going to listen you're going to probably just have to experience it yourself to really understand if if i had anything to say i would say um don't be scared to uh do as much as you can by yourself Mm, i like don't let people say that you can't do it without because it's i think it's it's even now it's it's 
probably the most probable that you can do most of the stuff by yourself. And then once it gets too big and you can't do it, that's when you start bringing other people into the picture. Very right. I, lo I like that a lot. So let's get in, you know, I'm convinced with every person musically that there's like a couple records that we're also chasing probably from our childhood. Can you tell me about five of your favorite records that have kind of had a huge impact on you? I'll try. Okay. That, that okay. Gets, it gets harder with age as well. Like yeah, the whole, like what's the record? What's your favorite band? Like, yeah. That used to be such an easy choice for me, and now I have, I'm just like, I don't know. <laughs> I, I make this joke that I ask this of everybody, but if you ever turned this on me, I'd be like, oh, kill me right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, but I, it's easy for me, you know, I can say um, th there are certain records that I remember hearing and just it changed everything for me. One of those records would be uh, Jimmy World Clarity. That, 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 uh, that is um, the most popular one on this podcast. Yep. That was a that was a huge one for me. Through Being Cool by Saves the Day. Very um, wrong. That kind of changed my outlook on just like – just the lyrics on the album. I remember um, back in the day, you know, when you put in a CD and read along to the liner notes. Uh -huh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's really cool. I'm I'm sad that kids don't do that anymore. But I remember reading those uh, like lyrics about digging out your eyeballs and stuff. I was like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> I love it. And that kind of changed it on, you know, turned me on to like the darker lyrics and stuff like that and these, you know, major songs. Uh, New Found Glory, self-titled, um, kind of showed me they they – I was a kid who like liked hardcore and I liked mm. pop, but I had no idea that it was possible to kind of like start infusing this, you know, and, mm. and, and they had these kind of almost like, you know, Pantera-esque riffs sometimes and stuff and, and just blew my mind with how, how poppy and pop punk it was, but just the fact that it was heavy too. And that was just something that not a lot of people could, could grasp at the time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I think they, they definitely like did a refinement to that art for sure on that record. Absolutely. And then one of the records that kind of came along later in my life, I think that I, 2010, maybe some of that, but, uh, Deftones Diamond Eyes. Oh, wow. Yeah. Great record. Yeah. Blew me away just sonically. And just that a band, probably one of the only bands that I can still listen to that I listened to when I was, you know, 10 years old skating and they're still consistently putting out, you know, music that, that, you know, is, is my favorite is, is pretty spectacular. And then I'd say if there's one more, I'm going to take it back to, um, probably what got me started. And that was, uh, the band 38 special. Okay. They, really? They, wow. It, yeah. My, my father listened to it, but it's funny because they were really popular for their Southern rock stuff. Uh -huh. But, the record my father got me into and listened to was was a record called Rock and Roll Strategy. I, I know, which is, I know which it well. Is, yes, that and it's like this this pop you know '80s rock record like with with synth and like it was just before they really kind of like bit onto that that southern rock thing and um, just learning how to do harmony and stuff for my father like hearing him sing along to those songs and like it was like well he's not singing the same notes as that guy but it sounds so good what's going on mm. and in that aspect I think that that record turned me on to like what harmony was and stuff. And uh, that dude's an incredible singer anyway. So I'd say that record was a staple for me for what got me into like the, the I guess the, the pop rock aspect of, of things. Well, I was going to ask if there's one influence people would be shocked by, but I think you already answered that one. <laughs> <laughs> that's the one. The record that nobody knows from 38 Special. I'm glad you know. That's, that's uh, you know, I work with a lot of bands who are like heavily classic rock influenced uh, being a producer from New York. So uh, oddly enough, a guy I've worked with for years always puts that on. It's like, do you know this tone here? And I'm like, oh, that's interesting. I think that's a Tom Scholl's rock man. Yes, that's awesome. Oh, uh, you know, like on a side note too, there there was a record that was um that you actually did, which was the Race the Sun record. Tonight oh, that's is so the funny. Lives. 
Yeah, and that record, uh, we had just started touring as Hit the Lights and stuff, did a few shows Race the Sun, but like that record came out, and I remember just, I think I had to buy it twice because I just wore it the fuck out. Wow. Yeah, and that still is, is a great record. that uh, It's sad because a lot of people don't know about it, and I feel like they were, I think, kind of a step ahead of what a lot of people were doing then, you know, and just yeah. kind of got overlooked and, and overran by by the bullshit. They, they, they really had it. And then the other thing I, like, always think about with that record is, like, you know, it's it's funny to talk about, like, great records because, like, so many people get into the, like, the Chinese democracy thing of, like, they want to rule that, like, if you spend a lot of time on a record, it's going to come out better. And there is a point where it goes too far. But, like, the one thing, I like, when I look back and listen to that record, I'm like, man, we had a lot of time to develop ideas. And it was, like, just about the right time. Like, we kind of worked until it was like, all right, all these songs have enough ideas. We've said no to a few ideas. It's done. And I'm like, man... It just sucks because, like, with record budgets, that just doesn't happen as much anymore. I'm tr- I've been trying to think about how you engineer bands so that they don't have to just rush on to tour and be on such a tight schedule that you actually get to that point on a record. Because I think that that is one of the keys. And I, it's funny, like, I've been really thinking about that record and, like, two or three others that I did that I'm like, wow, like, you know, that these still get talked to me about, like, all these years later, what's the difference between these records? yeah. And I, you know, a lot of it is that, you know, that circumstance and just that kind of magic that happens in that, in that time period too. stuff that just, you can't plan for or account for and just lucky enough to to have it happen. Yeah. uh, That is definitely a good amount of it as well. So can you tell me what's your favorite record of recent times and what's inspiring you about it? I don't even know if it's inspiring me, but my favorite record is Turnover. Oh Um, yeah. Love that record. Peripheral. Peripheral? Yeah, Yeah. dude, I can't, I can't stop. I'm down here in South Carolina, like around Myrtle beach and stuff now too. And it just still like, I put it all summer and I, I'm still playing it like during the fall and stuff. And it's just kind of like that, that perfect kind of vibe out and drive indie movie soundtrack stuff. It's just, it's great. And, uh, I, yeah, I can't stop listening to it. We are on the same page with that one. Cool. So my last question is, can you tell me what's uh, next for you? Um, Next, I said we have a few shows uh, going out to the Good Charlotte Tour. Um, We end a little after Thanksgiving, and then hopefully Rick from Kingstown and I will pick up uh, some projects and and start working in in the new year. If you enjoyed this episode, please remember the golden rule of the internet, that if you enjoy something you got for free, please tweet, Facebook, share, or tell your friends about it in whatever way you like to do that. Please check out Noise Creator's website and take a look around. We have tons of interviews, discographies, Spotify playlists from all the best producers out there on our service. If you're unsure about who your band should work with, we can help you get the best producer fit for your record. To keep up with us, follow at Noise Creators on Twitter, Instagram, SoundCloud, Tumblr, or Facebook. This podcast can also be found wherever podcasts are found, including iTunes and Stitcher. I'm your host, Jesse Cannon. I can be found on Twitter at Jesse Cannon or at jessecannon.com. Again, please help spread the word about this podcast and what Noise Creators does so we can keep this going. 